0: I feel like we can win the table. I'm gonna do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to Locked On Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked On Packers, the number one show for the Green Bay Packers in the state of Wisconsin in the show. For fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. We are here on Thursday of Free Agency Week, and Free Agency has officially opened, even though for Packer fans, it is maybe over at this point. Though we did get a little bit of action on Wednesday evening, Wednesday early afternoon. We, we got some stuff, so there will be actual Packer-related stuff to talk about today. Not just a recap, even though there were not any free agent signings, Green Bay did announce that they're going to be tendering Geronimo Allison. They did not tender Kentrell Bryce, and they re-signed Mercedes Lewis. We're going to talk about all of that. We are also going to talk about some of the things that happened in free agency that could be relevant to Green Bay. We're going to talk a little bit about how what happened in free agency may or may not impact the draft, but let's start with Nick Perry because... This is one of those things that is football nerdy interesting to me that I don't think is going to be heavily covered elsewhere, and I want you to be the smartest Packer fan you can. You may not think it's as interesting as I do, but you may have questions about it. You may wonder, why are they doing it this way? Because we heard all offseason, I said on this show, that the move with Nick Perry is to cut him And designate him as a June 1 release. And the reason you do that is because they could have saved almost $11 million on the 2019 cap by doing it that way. Because you can spread out the guaranteed money that was remaining on Nick Perry's deal. You could have spread it out over two seasons rather than eating it all in 2019, Instead, they'll only save $3.3 million on the cap in 2019. Well, why did they do this? They did this for what I think is a fascinating reason. When you look at the four deals Green Bay signed earlier in the week, and those have all been announced now, and we've been able to see how they look, what the substance of those contracts are. They're even more team-friendly than we thought. It's it's really amazing what Russ Ball did with the the structure of these contracts and they're all structured somewhat similarly with very low cap hits early that that gradually get a little bit bigger and in in some cases a lot bigger you can spread out remember the cost of guaranteed money on the salary cap so that money the Packers have to pay in cash so they're going to have to give Zadarius Smith 20 million as a signing bonus in cash, but they can spread that out over the course of his contract a little bit each year. Well, if you have base contracts that are small, that money still goes to that player. So the player is happy because they're getting a fat check, but in year one, their base salary might only be a million dollars, but they're still getting their cash inflow is still this whole big thing. So what Green Bay was able to do is Russ Ball manipulated the numbers such that in 2019, tens of millions of dollars in contracts over the course of the life of those contracts, and they only count about half of the cap space that Green Bay had to spend this offseason. They only accounted for about $18 in cap because of the structure, because of the 2019 structure. So then, when you go back to Nick Perry and you wonder why they decided to eat this whole dead cap charge in 2019, this is the reason. They were able to do this, eat Nick Perry's number, get all of these cap numbers for these players low, so that altogether, the money ends up being about what it could have been. And then next year, when they don't have as many contracts on the books... When Nick Perry's contract comes off entirely and they have to do things like pay David Bakhtiari, they're going to have money to do that. And it's not just kicking the can down the road. And that's something that I've heard from a lot of fans. Isn't that what they're doing, just kicking the can down the road? It is and it isn't. The player is still getting that money and the Packers are still going to have to pay the guaranteed money on the terms in the contract. As I said yesterday, if Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are playing on the contracts that they signed in year three and year four, it's because they were really good. And if they are really good, in all likelihood, after two seasons, you renegotiate those deals. You extend them and create more cap space in the near term. This is why I always say the cap is fake, because it can always be manipulated. It can always be changed. And the other reason why it's not really kicking the can down the road is because the salary cap goes up 10 million 15 million every year so right now seeing a cap hit of a player for 16 million seems like a lot but that percentage of the cap that that number is going to be in a year two years three years is smaller So this is actually a smart way to structure contracts. They're probably going to pay out at least two, if not three years on all of these deals. And as a Packer fan, you want them to pay them because that means those players are living up to those contracts. You want them to live up to those contracts because it means they're playing well. And they can play well. But So if you're wondering why they did this with Nick Perry the way that they did, that's the reason because what ended up happening is you know, you look at Billy Turner and you say, "Well, that's too much for a guy like that." I mean, you know, he might not even be a starter for the Packers. Okay, well in year 1, he only counts 4.25 million on the cap. That's nothing. I mean, that's that's a below average offensive line starter is 4.25 million. But then it goes up 7.6 million, 8 million, 8 million. Well, if he's playing on those 2021 and 2022 numbers, it's because he's a starter and he's solid. And if he's not, then you can cut him after two seasons and all you're eating is $5 million of that signing bonus. A little less, $4.5 million. So that's why you structure deals this way. So that after two or three years, if it's not working out, you can move on with minimal cap damage. Green Bay happened to have to move on to Nick from Nick Perry sooner than they wanted to simply because he wasn't performing up to his contract. He couldn't stay on the field. And they were able, because Russ Ball is really good at this, they were able to manipulate these contracts, load them with incentives, Use the, they love to use roster bonuses, specifically so that if they have to use the June 1 pill, they can. That's a limited option. You can't do that with everyone. They haven't had to use it because guys have mostly lived up to their contracts over the life of them. And these players can. But you use that that bonus and then the cap number so that if you have to designate them post June 1, you can spread that hit out. They haven't had to do it. Hopefully they don't have to do it. But the this is this is why we saw them handle that the way that they did because now that we know what these contracts look like, I have to reiterate it, they're even better than we thought initially. Uh, they're They're much less scary than the original numbers made them seem. And the Packers are going to have a decision to make in two seasons, you know, after they're done, in the offseason after 2020, and we'll see what happens. The hope would be, if you're the Packers, that they play well enough to either earn extensions or play to the number on that contract. If they don't, then these contracts are going to be a problem. But they're structured in a way that allows them to get out with minimal cap hit. And really what they did, the Packers, was they traded the cap hits for Nick Perry and Clay Matthews, turned them into Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and got considerable upgrades. So these are deals you do again if you can. I know the numbers seemed daunting, but there is a method to the madness, and that's why you eat that whole cap hit right now because you can. And that leaves money for the Packers to still go out and make moves if they want to. It leaves money to get Rashad Breland because they only need about $4.5 for the draft class with a little with a 15 and a little less for the Mercedes Lewis deal. They could have about 10 to do some signings. Now teams like to have a, a cushion. So Bashad Breland's cost maybe may be dependent on that. Tremon Williams can still be cut to save five more million. So there's still plenty of avenues for the Packers to go make this team better, to add players. The Earl Thomas dream is dead, unfortunately. For those who were really advocating for that, I don't think that was ever really in play, given the number there. That was a huge number that Earl Thomas got. But maybe Eric Berry could be now that he's been released. We're going to talk about that in just a second. The reopening is right around the corner, and there's a chance that no one has seen your balls in months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with a ball fro. Would you show up on the first day of school without a haircut? and he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Here, Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get to the Eric Berry bit, I want to talk about Mercedes Lewis because... He is back on a one-year deal, and there's a lot of reasons why this makes sense. Matt LaFleur wants to play with two tight ends. You need a blocking tight end, and Lewis is, if not the best, one of the best in football, was criminally underused by Mike McCarthy. That is an obvious reason to do it on the football field. He also knows Nathaniel Hackett, who was his offensive coordinator in Jacksonville a couple years ago, had five touchdowns with Hackett and was a featured part of the offense, really. All of that makes sense. And then when you factor in, Jimmy Graham is basically in Green Bay one more season. They don't have anyone else. And even if you're going to spend a first round or a top 50 pick on a tight end, they're unlikely to be ready in year one. It just takes these guys time. Evan Ingram, who was an outstanding talent, even after two seasons, hasn't really been able to put it all together. And he's really only been used as a glorified receiver in a lot of cases. It's going to take time for anyone they bring in to get up to speed. So, Mercedes Lewis is the perfect bridge tight end because he's going to do his role. He's going to block. He's going to catch the passes when he needs to catch the passes. And that's going to be that, and he's not going to complain about it. I-, I never believed that the video, the-, the conversation with Martellus Bennett was ever really that big a hindrance to his return. It, it would have been had Mike McCarthy stayed. But number one, I don't think Aaron Rodgers cares that people know that he had friction with Mike McCarthy. And number two, I don't think what, what Lewis said was really that revelatory. I don't think it was that inflammatory. He said Aaron Rodgers got a play call, rolled his eyes, and changed the play. And And Mercedes was was in awe of that. He thought it was incredible. He was like, I've never seen a quarterback do that. And, and oh, by the way, Aaron hit Devontae on – a go-route for a big first down at the end of a game. He was marveling at it. And then the conversation quickly turned to what a bad offense the Mike McCarthy offense was for tight ends, instigated by Martellus Bennett. And then Bennett asked Mercedes if he had ever had to deal with no-look passes from Rodgers. Not deal with, but if he had ever had to try and catch them. Because Rodgers apparently likes to do that in practice and then the conversation moved on and that was that. It wasn't like he was flaming the Packers. He wasn't trying to clown anybody. He wasn't trying to tell tales out of school. He was just saying, "Look, this is a this is a situation. This is what I experienced and you know, we can read between the lines. This friction is part of the reason Mike McCarthy is no longer the coach and and not to mention the fact that his play calling was erratic and had been for years." I mean, Jeff Saturday echoed this commentary from years ago that everyone in the huddle would hear a McCarthy play call and everyone would roll their eyes. James Jones said it, and James Jones doesn't talk bad about anyone. Greg Jennings said it. Everyone has said that has been on this team over the last couple of years that the, the play calling was something that everyone knew was a problem. So why is it weird that Mercedes would have said that? It's not. So this is, it's uh, to me, it was weird that there wasn't more discussion about why it was such an obvious choice to bring him back Now you add balance, you have a blocker, you have a receiver, and now you can draft someone. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Irv Smith Jr., Jay Sternberger, whatever you want. Dalton Knox. There's a lot of dudes in this draft class that would be nice. And you don't have to worry about, can they block or can they not? Because now you have a blocker, you have a receiver. They can be whatever you want them to be. You can just pick the guy you like the best and not have to worry, oh, Noah Fant, not a great blocker. Can be. Could develop into one, but isn't right now. Same with someone like Jay Sternberger. So this opens them up. And that's something that is true now of everything that has happened in free agency. And we're going to close on that. In the draft, their options are so wide open now. But speaking of options, the Packers had the option of offering Geronimo Allison a restricted free agent tender. They did. A little bit over $2 million. And coming off a groin injury, uh, that that seems reasonable. Now it is the restricted free agency is weird, and and I know it's complicated, and and even I had to refresh my memory on exactly how does this work again, because it it is a, a kind of a convoluted system, and and it's different than the NBA, which is where we usually see stuff like this happen. But if you sign a restricted free agent tender, then. The team has the right of first refusal. So if a team tries to sign Geronimo Allison, which they can try to do, then the Packers have the right to match it. If they don't match it, then that team can have Allison. In this case, usually you have a first-round tender, second-round tender, and original-round tender. Well, Geronimo Allison wasn't drafted. So if a team wants to give him a new contract, they don't have to give up anything to get him. So I I was openly advocating on Twitter for teams. Look, Geronimo Allison, if he's healthy, he's a solid receiver. He's not a number one. He might not even be a high end number two, but he can come in and help your offense. And I would much rather have Geronimo Allison at four million, five million even, than someone like John Brown at nine million, or some of the crazy contracts that have gone to these receivers. Allison is solid if unspectacular. And sometimes that's what you want. Just a guy that's going to come in, do his job, not demand the ball, and on third and 12, you you think he's going to be in his position on that backside dig route just in case your number one receiver isn't open. He's going to be there, and if you throw it to him, he's going to make the catch. That hasn't always been the case with him, but he developed. He was on pace to be a 1,000-yard receiver last year before he got hurt. And it's unfortunate that he got hurt because he probably would have got a nice, heyday in free agency, Green Bay would have put a tender on him, maybe even signed him to a new contract. But certainly, if they would have given him a tender, a team could have have very much put the pressure on Green Bay to match that contract. I don't know if they would have, but that would have certainly made things interesting. Now, coming off the groin injury, I find it hard to believe any other team is going to have much interest in trying to get into a bidding war with Green Bay about it. Not really a bidding war. You make an offer and Green Bay can match or not. But I just, it's such a big risk and such a low ceiling. You know, it's not like he's a super high upside guy. That this could end up being a real value signing for Green Bay, at least on this one-year deal. On the other side of the restricted free agent spectrum, Kentral Bryce, not even tendered. Not even tendered. That is an indictment of the way they handled the safety position last year. When they went into it believing Kentrell Bryce could be a starting player. And you look at it now. They traded HaHa ha Clinton Dix. And they didn't even give $2 million to Kentrell Bryce who was an undrafted free agent. So also original round tender means he could be lost for nothing. All you had to do is give him a $2 million tender. And the backer said Nah. They really got this safety position wrong last offseason. Adrian Amos, as much as anything, is simply a reaction to that. They realized they had to do something. And it's not Kentrell Bryce. And I'm, I'm, this is the smart thing to do. You cut your losses. You don't double down and say, well, he started a bunch of games for us. Yeah, he was bad. Nothing personal against Kentrell, who seems like a nice guy he's not a good NFL player and may not be an NFL player at all. Even on special teams, he's inconsistent as a tackler. He he's not particularly useful on the defense and I just I don't know how he helps an NFL team. So I wish him the best. Again, nothing personal to him. It just the reality is he wasn't good and not good enough to make this team, not good enough to even like hint at an opportunity to be on this team. So where do they go from here? Is this enough? Are they done? Well, if there is one name out there that isn't Bashad Breland, and I think that's the most likely player that that comes up on their radar moving forward, but if there is a player that they may be interested in, particularly at the safety position, Kansas City cut Eric Berry. Now, there had been some trade rumors that teams were interested in dealing for Eric Berry. And I said, no, cap number's too high. He's not worth that money. Clearly, no one was interested in dealing because they wouldn't cut him unless they could have tried to trade him first. They clearly would have done that. John Dorsey proved, proved he's smart enough to know when to trade and when not to trade. So what does that Eric Berry market look like? Can you get him for nine or 10 million? Can you get him, if you can get him for the same deal you gave Adrian Amos, you obviously do it, but if you have to do it one year 10, two years 22, you do that because, again, you can get creative with the math in year one and and figure it out from there. Also, if you're not going to sign Bashad Breland, then what you can do is Eric Berry becomes a safety. Tremont Williams is now being paid to be a cornerback again, and you can move him if there's injuries, and you have this flexibility Barry and Amos are not ideal running mates necessarily, but the three of them with Tremont and his ability to cover in the slot, to play deep and play a little bit of everywhere, you could leave him at safety. Maybe you draft a corner and you feel good about the four or five guys you have, plus Barry, plus Amos, plus Tremont. Suddenly that secondary is looking really, really strong, really fortified. It's just something I think they should consider. It's something you know I think they will consider. Frankly, Th- they're going to call. They're going to find out what the price is because he can make them better. Even if it's just as an overhang defender, that big nickel safety who plays kind of linebacker, plays uh, a little bit in the intermediary zones, in the in the deep zone a little bit, and plays a little bit all over. Yeah, Eric Berry is not the guy he used to be, but an extra year removed from the Achilles. Maybe he regains a half step and can be closer to the player we're used to seeing. That, the guy that was a defensive player of the year type player, that guy's gone in all likelihood. But if he can get to 80% of that guy, 85% of that guy, he's still a really good player, still a really useful player. And certainly worth it to a team like Green Bay that's had such problems with safety, that has such a, a dearth of talent is worth investigating. And if the price is right, I mean, if he's not going to get 13, which is what he was supposed to get on the cap this year, it sounds like no team was willing to foot that cost. So it's got to be under that. So is it nine or is it 12? Because that matters. And if the numbers are right, he certainly makes sense for the Packers. All right. I just want to end the show with a brief discussion on where this leaves the team as we look toward the draft. And a couple things on this. Number 1, I don't think it changes really anything about the strategy because the strategy was always take the guy that improves your team the most. This is this is the hill that I will always die on. The smart way to draft is to take the player that maximally improves your team. Well, that calculation is now changed. So Again, you it was it was never smart to just completely ignore need in pursuit of best player available because the best player is the best player for your team. Longtime listeners don't need to hear me do this speech again. <laughs> but you can never have too many edge rushers. So if there is a big time edge rusher there at 12, you take him. But it now opens the possibility of other players being equally impactful on that rookie deal. Because that's the the thing. Who can impact this team the most over the life of their contract? Because you don't want to be too short-sighted to just think, okay, well, who can impact me the most in year one? You have to accommodate growth. You have to account for a learning curve in the NFL. And you have to account for positional overhaul, for fluctuation of roster and contracts and all of those things. So who over the life of the rookie contract is going to impact this team the most? Well, now that they don't need an edge rusher, now that if they took an edge rusher in the first round, he's not going to come in and rush the passer 500 times in 2019. The impact of that player, likely over his rookie contract, is different than it would have been a week ago. So it opens up opportunities. I mentioned this because of the combine and all of the the fluctuation with edge talent and Ja'Kai Polite falling down and Cleland Farrell not testing as well athletically, it opened the door for some new possibilities. This opens the door even further. If, if craziness was possible before now, there is the potential for chaos. Ed Oliver, sure. By the way, Ed Oliver should have always been the pick. Ed Oliver is one of the five best dudes in this class. But could they step outside of their athletic profile and take a right tackle? Is that more in play than it than it was before? Andre Dillard, if he's there, Jonah Williams if he's if he's there. Juwan Taylor if he's there. Does this open the door for someone like Devin Bush? Do they love a safety? Could could someone like Chauncey Gardner Johnson really appeal to them there? I think it'd be a little bit of a reach, but not a huge one. Could they get a little wild and go TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fant? Maybe, and and down the line. This allows them, this, this frees them up now because they don't have a glaring hole anywhere on the roster. This frees them up to say, well, the guy who can impact our team the most because we don't need anyone to step right in and start for us is just the best player, a true best player available. Now, that still takes into account positional value, and, you know, fluctuation in roster. I mean, they're going to need a right tackle of the future. They need a tight end of the future. They, they have not settled on a wide receiver of the future opposite Devontae Adams. They could use another backup running back. They could use some added depth at inside linebacker and some versatility and playmaking in the safety room. They might consider another cornerback just to fortify the depth there. Another swing offensive interior offensive lineman. Could there be a defensive lineman to, you know, just really buoy that defensive front? All of this stuff is in play. There are a lot of options. So pick your favorite guy. Pick the guy that you see a future for on this team, in this defense, in this offense. And, you know, now someone like Paris Campbell, a little bit more raw, Brian Burns, a little bit more raw. It becomes easier to justify their talent relative to their polish when you don't think you need them to play right away. And that does necessarily, by the way, not a bad thing, that necessarily changes your thinking when that's not the case. When you have players that you think are going to have to play right away, you view them differently. And you should. Not that it should be the end-all, be-all, or that it should be the deciding factor, but it has to be a factor. It has to be a factor because lack of polish is a risk, and you have to be able to develop that, and you have to be able to project that forward. So practically speaking, it doesn't change your approach because what you want are the guys that are going to make you maximally improved, but now the the net that you can cast for that to be the case is wider. And that should be music to Brian and Sears because it means the potential of trading down. It means the potential of trading up. Now, if you like someone, you can target them because you don't feel like you have to fill a bunch of these other holes. You don't feel like you have to add bodies in all these locations. So if someone falls, you really like them, go up and get them. It frees them up so much to be aggressive and be patient depending on, on their position at the time that... I think they're they're now in an even better position than they were with three picks in the top 50 to go out and crush this draft and really give themselves a chance to get right back in the Super Bowl conversation. Because Mike Clay, the, one of the NFL fantasy football guys for ESPN, said it earlier in the week, it's hard to find a better team now on paper than the Packers. That's true. And and paper tigers don't win Super Bowls, and and now a team like the Browns probably has a, a conversation and there are plenty of teams out there with talent, but Green Bay fortified key deficiencies. Aaron Rodgers comes back, Devontae Adams is a superstar. There's so many reasons to like this team. If you go out and have a home run draft, you really could be talking about a two year turnaround for Brian Gudikins taking this team from, you know, a lot of turmoil. And putting them back in Super Bowl contention, and, and wouldn't that be a thing? We certainly would have something to talk about. All right, next week uh, we're going to hear from people who covered some of these free agents. Get a deep dive. Um, already have a Preston Smith and an Adrian Amos show uh, lined up. Interviews set. Actually, interviews done. We are ready to go. Uh, for next week and uh we'll we'll try and cover news as best we can. If there's Packer news, we'll we'll break it as best we can and we'll go through the week and we'll we'll get to some of these guys and then we'll we'll turn our attention toward the draft because, you know, once we get through next week, you know, it's a month out. And that means there's rumors to talk about. That means there's players to identify that could be potential Green Bay Packers targets. Unfortunately for us, the widening of the net makes things much more complicated for that. So we may have to discuss a lot more players. I guess that means more content, which is great for you. So we'll keep on doing that. We are record breaking this week, absolutely crushed the biggest day in lockdown Packers history. Yesterday, uh, absolutely massive numbers. We charted on the iTunes top 100. In fact, we were 69. That was the highest I saw it get to. But I mean, we were in the top hundred ahead of, you know, titans of the industry: Rich Eisen and Ryan Rosillo and Katie Nolan and Brian Windhorst and just some really awesome, awesome podcasts that are out there. So that was really cool to see. Thank you guys so much for your support. This has been. Uh, really an awesome journey this offseason and, and the growth that we've seen already. So let's keep it up. Let's keep pushing forward um, because the Packers are. And they have they have made it clear that they are going to be an interesting team in all facets of the NFL calendar. So that's why you're here. That's why you're following along. Speaking of following, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify. Leave us a review, a five-star rating. It really helps us spread the word about the show. And anytime, I promise we'll do another mailbag soon. Uh, anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775. Because even in the offseason, you have to stay Locked On Packers.